take us away. I'm taking us away. Take it away, Katie. Hello. Hello. Cowboy, <laughs> take me away. Um, hi, everyone. Welcome to Book Squad Goals. This is Kelly speaking. <laughs> um, just a couple of things right off the top that I want to say. This episode, we're covering Freshwater by Ekweke Imezi. Uh, first thing, I looked up a lot of pronunciations, and I'm hoping I'm going to get them right. Second thing, um, this should serve as a trigger warning for the rest of the episode. This book deals with self-harm, sexual assault, suicide, among other issues that may make you feel uncomfortable um, or be triggering for you. So if you are bothered by any of those things, maybe stop listening and tune in next time. Um, So moving into our intro question, uh, I wanted to ask you guys what your favorite story film, book, etc., is about a character with multiple identities. And maybe we can start with our special guest, uh, Leah Rachel Von Essen. Hello, Leah. (laughs) Um, Tell us a little bit about yourself and then give us your your answer to this obviously super complex question. (laughs) Hi, I'm Leah. I write for Book Riot and I review for Booklist. Um, I also run my blog at While Reading and Walking. We will link in show notes. Yes. And let's see. Favorite story. Multiple identities. I am going to go with the easy out and go with this one. And I can talk (laughs) about why later. Mm -hmm. But I did really like the way it split this, in particular the way it talks about mental illness and the way it split that into multiple identities that sort of multi-spiritness. So I really enjoyed it. Cool. Cool. And if I come up with something better later. No, it's fine. That's perfect. There aren't that many options, I realized after I created this question. (laughs) So I'm going to pick. This is Mary. Mary. I have a fun, cold voice this week. (laughs) Um, So if you hear, like, who is this raspy person that sounds on the brink of death? It's me. (laughs) Um, I'm going to go. And look, I know this is like a celebration of white male mediocrity, but I really <laughs> love Fight Club. That's fine. It's true. I was, I was obsessed with it in high school because I was like, this is super edgy and I'm different. I'm edgy too. I was like that emo high schooler. And so I was super into it. And now, even though I see lots of problems with it, I still feel nostalgic for it. It's yeah. a good movie. Yeah. It's a the good movie, movie is also, in my opinion, better than the book. Yeah. It's one of those yeah, rare um, rarities. Yeah. You don't want me to get into my whole thing about that author. Not, <laughs> yeah. I'm not a fan. That me neither. Author. But I do love yeah. that movie. And I yes. think I do think that David Fincher uh, maybe like understood why it was like more of a satire than maybe Chuck P understood. Yeah. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So I think that the level of satire he pushes it to like makes it work better. Yeah, I agree. That's fun. Um, <laughs> Kelly, do you want me to go next? Or are you going to do the same? Yeah, one you as me? you can go. Okay. Um, this is Emily. My pick is United States of Terra because really, can you go wrong? with Tony Collette and Brie Larson in a television show. You can't. It's a wonderful TV show. Not enough people watched it. Um, yeah, it's just really great. Yeah, it's great. So for people who don't know, that show is about a 
mother who has multiple personalities and uh, how those different personalities come out. Uh, yeah. And-, and it sounded, honestly, you know, the first time I watched it, I was like, this sounds dumb, but I like Tony Collette, so I'm going to watch it. But the premise is kind of dumb. Just my feeling about it. Just the way that it seemed like it was going to represent multiple personalities seemed a little hokey. But I was wrong. It was really yeah. good. So. It's really good. Um, and that was going to be my pick. But then I was like, oh, Emily's going to pick that. You can pick it, and- too. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. I'm just going to go ahead and pick um, the only other thing that I could think of aside from that and Fight Club, which is Psycho. Ooh, uh, I you were going to say Split. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, I could think of that, but no, I'm not picking that. That would be ridiculous. Um, <laughs> I mean, that movie was, like, fun to watch, but also, like, it's so the problematic visit, in some right? ways. The Visit is genius. We can um, all agree. Yes. It's No The Visit. Um, anyway, yeah. So, Psycho features a character that has multiple identities. If you haven't seen it, I won't spoil it. Uh, even though it came out a really long ass time ago. Yeah. I love it. Check Psycho. it out. <laughs> it's a great film. Uh, okay. So now that we have covered all of the films and TV shows about multiple persons, everyone. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's it. All of them. Please write in if we forgot your favorite. Yeah. Or uh, dissociative identity disorder, I guess, is the yeah. proper terminology. Um, Anyway, I have a Goodreads summary, which we always have, so I'm going to read it. Okay. Here I go. Go. An extraordinary debut novel, Freshwater explores the surreal experience of having a fractured self. It centers around a young Nigerian woman, Ada, who develops separate selves within her as a result of being born with one foot on the other side. Unsettling, heart-wrenching, dark, and powerful, Freshwater is a sharp evocation of a rare way of experiencing the world, one that illuminates how we all construct our identities. Ada begins her life in the south of Nigeria as a troubled baby. <laughs> a troubled baby. <laughs> and a source what, what kind of that's, troubles can a baby have, really? <laughs> that's me. I'm a troubled baby. Um... And a source of deep concern to her family. Her parents, Saul and Sachi, successfully prayed her into existence. But as she grows into a volatile and splintered child, it becomes clear that something went terribly awry. When Ada comes of age and moves to America for college, the group of selves within her grows in power and agency. A traumatic assault leads to a crystallization of her alternate selves, Agusara and St. Vincent. As Ada fades into the background of her own mind and these selves, or sorry, Asugara and St. Vincent. <laughs> As Ada fades into the background of her own mind and these selves, now protective, now hedonistic, move into control, Ada's life spirals in a dark and dangerous direction. Narrated by the various selves within Ada and based in the author's realities, Freshwater dazzles with ferocious energy and serpentine grace, heralding the arrival of a fierce new literary voice. Mm. <sighs> So, that was a long one. Um, but fairly accurate, I think. Yes. Uh, a good summary. So, I figured that to ease us in, because there's a lot of stuff to cover um, in this book, uh, and a lot of stuff that is really kind of, like, complicated and interesting. Um, but I wanted to start with a kind of, like, easier question to wrap our minds around, which is the structure 
So let's talk about structure. Okay. This book has a nonlinear structure and multiple narrators divided into sections for Asugara, first person we, and finally Ada. How do we feel about the experimental nature of this novel and how does it work or not work in service of the story? Yeah, I think it, <clears throat> I really liked the way this structure was non-linear, was non-linear and the way it became all so twisty. I thought it really was good in service of the story in that it sort of throws the reader. It's disconcerting. It's kind of confusing it kind of twists time into circles so that it'll tell you something happened and you have to go, wait, when did that happen? And go back and find it. And I thought it sort of mirrored the same struggle that thought is going through the same struggle that the main character keeps going through, like casting back into memories, being thrown back and forth between these sort of different sides. Um, and I think it threw the reader into that same sort of headspace. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, I agree. And, you know, because we have several instances when um, it's like either Ada wasn't there when something happened to her or one of the other personalities wasn't there when something happened to her. And then it's like, well, let me go back and rewind and try to find that memory and see what happened. Um, So I think the narrative style helped us understand what that would feel like. Um, Cause it's, it's, it's a complicated premise um, being inside the head of someone who's experiencing a, a sort of like divide in their personality. But I think the way that it's told from the very beginning of the book, I didn't have trouble understanding it. Um, like it was very that that idea that type of narrative is complicated, but the way that it was put together made it easy to follow and kind of get in that headspace quickly. I felt like. Um, how did you guys feel about the specifically the first person we? Because that's always something that when like that is in a book, I'm always like, I don't know about that. But then in some cases it works. I I thought it worked. I usually here, like but stuff like that, so I'm not, I'm like, oh yeah, if it's like second person <laughs> or like. First person plural, I'm immediately like, all right, what are we doing with this? Okay. So. <laughs> I thought it was interesting. And, like, I think the narrative yeah. structure definitely sets it apart from a lot of other books. This could have been so much more straightforward. But uh, especially that use of we, I was kind of like, at the beginning, I was like, well, I don't know who we is, but guess I just have to go with it you know and then over the course of the novel it makes sense which is like always kind of rewarding I think yeah I think too the we the fact that it was sort of hard to figure out who we was also really helped enable the non-linear structure and the confusingness of it because I think at the beginning even through all the flashbacks it doesn't necessarily spoil the appearance of the other sort of sections of her brain that we'll discover later. Like St. Vincent is like a later arrival in comparison, yeah. but, or is he, or was he always there, you know? And right. it becomes confusing about which one of the spirits was there. When did they arrive? Did they split? Like, how did they all get there? And I think 
that's partially enabled by the fact that they use the Wii, because if it was more divided, it would be almost too clear when each of them was speaking or if one of them was. One of the things that struck me is whether St. Vincent and Asugara mm-hmm. are the two and then they split or something like, you know, right. I was, and I wasn't totally sure. And I think that was enabled by the use of that. that yeah. There's a moment towards the beginning when they talk about um, the, t- like you were saying, like these two different visualizations of the spirits. And one of them is a shadow and one of them is something else physically described. And, I, I did wonder, like, are those two the two that we later meet with names and everything? And you don't ever really find that out. And um, but I think I think that that's OK, too, because. Yeah, like existing as a, a plurality, I guess, um, that they are mm-hmm. there are a lot of questions that you still end up having about, like. Which right. which person is which person, but does that even matter because it's all the same person? I mean, there's just a lot there. Like, even as you're describing it, it's like, this is a really complicated novel, I think. It's not, I don't think that it's difficult to necessarily understand on the surface level what's happening. But it's, there's a yeah. lot to unpack. Right. I'm still unpacking. <laughs> yeah, no. Um which I th- I think is, like, such a – like, this is the type of book that I think I would read again. Um, yeah. Because it's not too long to read again, first of all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but also, I, I think that a second read would be very rewarding. Um, yeah. And that, that more things would become clear. Um, but I, I want to talk about this story and the way that it reckons with mental illness, which we briefly mentioned earlier. Um and, f- like, before we even get into all this, I want to say, like, that I'm white as fuck. Like, I'm a white cis woman. Um, <laughs> so, uh, like, any analysis that I, like, would be able to provide about this is coming from my perspective as a white cis woman. Um, so I I just think it's really important to acknowledge that. Um, and because of that, I have, like, quite a few quotes uh, that I wanted to read from the author um, and from just, like, different articles because I'm, like, I <laughs> – earlier today I was, like, I'm going to read, like, a hundred articles um, and, like, not a hundred, but I read, like, everything I could find. <laughs> a like, thousand. Just because I was, like, I want to be sure that I'm that I'm really, like, getting this information. Right. Um, uh, because it, it is so steeped in um, Igbo culture – and that's something that I'm just, like, not familiar with. Well, and I think one of the things uh, they're trying to say in this novel is that colonialism has delegitimized a lot of these beliefs. And so this novel is kind of, in a small way, their way of taking back those beliefs and legitimizing mm-hmm. them yes. again. So I have um, some some things to read from a couple of articles. Hopefully that won't be too long and uh, you won't be too annoyed by the sound of my voice. Uh, Okay. (laughs) So it it would be easy to read this novel from our Western lens and assume that the presence of the spirit world and the gods inside Ada's head are meant to be taken as metaphor. However, 
Uh, Emezi has clarified in many interviews that Freshwater is based on their actual experiences and beliefs. Um, And in a piece for ID, for which Emezi was interviewed, Matthew Whitehouse writes, um, Of course, the battle now is ensuring that Freshwater is read in the context in which Akweke intended. Although rapturously reviewed and currently longlisted for the Carnegie Medal of Excellence, numerous articles have continued to critique the book through the lens of mental health, the depression, loneliness, and self-harm that Ada experiences being symptoms of some dissociative identity disorder rather than the genuine embodiment. When pressed, Akweke likes to use a quote by the novelist Toni Morrison, who, after winning the Nobel Prize in Literature in 1993, was asked what it was like to be accepted by the mainstream. I stood at the border, stood at the edge, and claimed it as central, she said. Claimed it as central and let the rest of the world move over to where I was. This is also what Akweke is doing with Freshwater, asking the reader to move themselves and find a different perspective, consider what life looks like lived in an indigenous faith tradition, imploring them to accept that lens as a valid reality. And then I have a quote from the author uh, in an interview with Electric Literature. uh, When asked to, when asked if they describe Igbo narratives using the term mythology and the interviewer was like, do you describe it that way? Because I don't know if, if like that's right or whatever. And, uh, The author said, the word mythology implies that it's not real, that it's make-believe. I had to do a lot of recentering where I was raised with it being, this is mythology, this is folklore, this is superstition. Then you ask a couple of questions and you realize the only reason it's considered make-believe is because a bunch of white people showed up and told everyone there that the reality they'd been living in was fake and that they'd been believing things that weren't real. And then what really jolts your understanding... Uh, And then that really jolts your understanding of what is real, which is why a lot of the work I do with Freshwater and and with other work is about allowing for multiple realities to exist at the same time versus the concept there has to be a singular dominant one and everything else gets defined according to that. So I hope that Freshwater shifts away from knowing from that a little bit and allows for multiple ways of being. Well, I feel like I... Should have read that before I said what I said. <laughs> no, it's fine. Or they basically said what I was saying. It's totally fine. So, um, okay. But yeah, which just means that you were right. <laughs> um, cool. You Yeah, which is great. So anyway, knowing all of this, uh, going back to the mental health question, how do we feel about the ideas that Freshwater posits about the spirit world's responsibility um, for mental illness? Oof. Well, um... First of all, I just want to say, and I know Mary agrees with this because she read this book as well. Um, I couldn't help but compare this book to um, The Famished Road by Ben Oakry, which also deals with this idea of the spirit world and like having one foot in the spirit world and one foot in reality. And I remember I decided foolishly to teach this book to undergrads. Um, and one of the things that we really struggled with as a class was, um, at least in The Famous Road, and I think it's happening in this book as well, but in The Famous Road, the spirit world and the real world are very much blended. Like, there's no divide. Like, you don't know what's happening in the spirit world and what's happening in the real world because to the main character, it's all the same. And so my students were all like, well, what's real and what's not? And I'm like, but it that's the thing. Like it's all real, right? Like we're not, there's no, and I kind of think that's what's happening here too. And a less like in, 
in the Ben Ogri book, it gets very fantastical and kind of um, horrific. Yes. A lot of the images are very horrifying. Um, in this, it's less like tangible images that you have to sift through, but more, you know, consciousnesses that you have to sift through. And, you know, I guess having read The Famous Road before reading this, I couldn't help but think about that book and think about as I was like reading these consciousnesses and thinking about like, well, what's real and what's not like to whether or not like whatever you believe about the spirit world to this character, all of it is real. Um, all yeah. of these consciousnesses are real and separate pieces that are her and not her at the same time. Um, I forget where I was going with that. It sounded. Does someone want to pick me. that up? <laughs> yeah, sounded great though. Okay, cool. Um, I, uh, Leah, have you read Famished Road or do you know anything? I about have it? not yet. It's on my okay. shelf. Okay. It's one of many, many books. <laughs> I just wanted to go ahead down. and bring that up since we were, we're talking about the spirit world because for me that's the only other book that I've read that kind of deals with that same concept so um, explicitly and to where it's mm-hmm. like one of the major like it is a major part of the story um, so you just I don't know like I couldn't help but compare the two and I know Mary you kind of felt similar yeah because uh, in the Famished Road, which has been a while since I've read it, but the main character is like a spirit child, like destined for death because he has this connection to the spirit world. Just like Ada is. I've been calling her Ada in my head the whole time I read it. So oh, that's me too, but then I like watched an interview and they, they were like Ada and I was like, that makes sense. <laughs> it makes sense, yeah. Um, just like Ada is sort of she has that connection with the spirit world which means she is doomed in a way Yeah, you know like the spirits try to tear her world apart in various ways Um, The Famished Road is real good Mm -hmm. and I highly recommend it it's a very different take on this I think though I, I felt like this book as much as we're talking about how complicated the narrative is um, I definitely feel like this was a much easier read. Like, I was never confused about what was going on in The Famous Road. I will say, like, sometimes I was like, okay, don't know what happened. <laughs> right. Like, I'm just going to go with this. <laughs> yeah, but I feel like that's an important part of that sort of feel, that, that connection, I think. Mm-hmm. The idea that you don't really know what's happening helps, especially in Freshwater, you feel more connected to Ada, who also doesn't really know what's happening in the sense that Ada doesn't necessarily think of it in ways we would. Ada has these other beings in her head and has to deal with them as well. Um, And I think what you were saying too about your students and that struggle for like what is real, what's not real, what's actually happening, does it matter? I think that, too, is part of what's such an issue with the people who keep trying to diagnose this Mm -hmm. character and, like, enforce things. Like, I've seen even in the reviews when I was writing my own review of this book, in the reviews on Goodreads, the number of people who cite dissociative identity disorder, I'm like, that's not 
Yeah. But that's never stated in this book. You can't just throw that in here. Um, mm-hmm. And But people state it as fact, and I think there is that tendency to want to impose. Um, or uh, sort of ground things in reality. Mm-hmm. Or in reality as we understand it. And I mean, like, I'm guilty of that as I was reading this book. I think it took me getting to the end of the book, to the last part of the book, to understand that that wasn't what was going on. Yeah. Right. But just like reading it from my like Western perspective, I did want to diagnose, even though like I know like in the back of my mind all the time when you read stuff like this, like the last thing you want to do is like diagnose people mm-hmm. like that's never that just kind of oversimplifies things. It's never that simple. But yeah, I think talking about it now and hearing you guys talk about it is helping me process it because the whole time I was just like, okay, how can I turn off my disability studies mm-hmm. theoretical framework to think about this? Because I know that Akweke was not coming here to do anything about disassociative identity yeah. disorder. Like, as you said, Leah, that's not <laughs> what this is. But I'm just like, but it is, though. And it's not. <laughs> but I, it's so hard to, like get out of that familiar mode of thinking because these sort of like this Igbo belief system is so unknown to me. I don't even have the vocabulary to think about it. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think one thing that helped me is I think I did identify in one sense and was able to connect it to like how I think about my own anxiety and my depression is I've definitely separated and that's not necessarily what this is, but like I definitely right. think of them as separate. And like when I'm having a bad day, I'll be like, dumb anxiety. Like how dare yeah. you? And it makes it it easier to deal with for me because I mm-hmm. can go blame it on my body. And I could even yeah. separate out my body from me and be like how dare you, my body, give me a stomachache today on this important day, right, yes. you know? Um, and I think that, while not being the same, helped me connect also to this, mm-hmm. I, to the way it's more about those things being actual separate beings or parts of this person, rather than um, becoming almost like oversimplified or westernized into... Um, how we think about disorders. Yeah. And what I, yeah. I think it's interesting too, to just think about the concept of like, when we talk about mental illness, we talk about, you know, this like is something that I have that I can't help. Like this was not a choice. Um, and the same thing with what, which I do want to talk about too, you know, g- gender identity is this is just the way that I am. And this is just how it is. Like, it's not something that I thought one day, Hey, I'm going to do, I'm going to like be anxious or, Hey, I'm going to like, you know, <laughs> what like it's just stuff that like right. you were born with. And um I I think it's interesting because like all the time we think, you know, this is this is not my fault. It's like science or whatever. And it's like, well, either way, like, you know, if you if you have spirits inside of you, that's also not your fault or your choice. <laughs> so, you know, it's just different ways of looking at what is essentially, you know, the same like feeling that a person that's a good point yeah so piggybacking off that last question i also want to talk about Ada's transness um so in an article for the cut emezi wrote about their transition surgeries in relation to their identity as an ogbanji 
And in it, they talk about how they feel neither female nor male, but simply genderless. Um, And we see this in Otto, too, who, like the author, has several surgeries to make her body closer to something that can exist as a we, uh, which encapsulates multiple beings at once. So what do we make of this idea, and how do you guys think it was handled in the story? I liked how it was handled in the story. I thought that the sort of confusing, disconcerting part of it, again, just made it feel more real. I can't imagine many people who, in today's day and age, um, feel genderless. Yeah. Wake up when they're 12 and are like, oh, I'm genderless. Yeah. Like, I know what that means, and it's okay, and I feel great, right. you know? And so this feeling of St. Vincent pulling her one way and then the other spirit pulling her the other way and feeling that in between or one or the other and sometimes one of the spirits would be more in control and sometimes the other, sometimes both of them were there coexisting. That whole con- like semi-confusion back and forth, I think, was very felt very real in the sense that it was hard to like parse through but I think it probably is very hard to parse through and to figure out. Yeah. Um, and so I thought that made it very sort of relatable. Yeah. And I, and put you in that headspace. Yeah. And I think also, um, there's the two sort of gendered spirits and then there's the, the we that is almost just like, Mm -hmm. we are not human. Like, Gender is mm-hmm. a construct and, you know, and so there's this whole part about um, them talking about how just the idea of reproducing is, like, so gross, gross, like, like horrifying to, like, yeah. repulsive, <laughs> like, because, because in, in the culture, these gods are not supposed to, um, you know, they come from nothing, they're not supposed to, like, make a new lineage that continues. Um, So I thought that was really interesting too. There's also a moment like it's, I think it's right after she gets her breasts removed that she's like, I can't wait to put on dresses. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought that was really interesting too, because I think even with um, gender fluidity, um, people have a hard time not thinking about it in binaries, right? Like, yes. oh, you got your breast removed, so, like, why would you want to be feminine now? Mm-hmm. But the whole idea is, like, it's not that Ada doesn't want to be feminine or, like, wants to be masculine. It's that she wants to inhabit some space in between. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I thought that that was, a, that was a really interesting moment. Yeah, I think this... Book two was a lot of for me about feeling like you're allowed to inhabit a body or that your body is in any way under your control. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that in that sense, too, like that's one of the main journeys of this book is Ada um, figuring out how to make her body match something that she mm-hmm. actually understands. Yeah. And can deal with and can, I think, at points, like, protect. Like, it feels very vulnerable to be so connected to a body um, for Ada for much of the story. Yeah. And I think a lot of what it is with the surgery, too, is, was for me, or my understanding of it, was a lot about that control and about feeling like 
this body is mine. I control it. I control what happens to it. I control what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of the same reason, you know, after she is raped, she cuts off all of her hair. It's that similar kind of thing where that's her kind of way. Like, and when she goes to get all her hair cut off, they're like horrified. Cause she's like, they're like, Oh, she has this like long, beautiful hair. Like we would love to have hair like that. Like, why would you ever cut that off? But it's again, like the same thing like this. It's a way of, she didn't have control of her body. Um, and she's trying to regain that control. They love her hair so much. They refuse to cut it and make her make the first cut. Oh yeah. My God, yeah. <laughs> I love that scene where she's just like, "Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. me too." And I think, um, speaking of like the cutting hair, not that you know, to take it a step further, there there's a lot about self harm as well uh, mm-hmm. throughout the book, and a lot of it is yeah. her fi- like almost like making a sacrifice to the gods in a way saying you know here because it she says you know they're hungry for blood and if i cut myself i'm feeding them almost but then it's also interesting because we we think of self-harm um through mental illness also as a way to you know distract yourself or like make the pain into something physical instead of something trapped in your head um Mm -hmm. so it's just another way of like sort of reshaping ideas of, like, why a person might self-harm, which I mm-hmm. found interesting, too. I think what you said about um, sort of releasing those that turmoil of feeling is really what I got from the self-harm in this book, the sort of sense that you're feeding something, mm-hmm. yeah. um, that you're dealing with, this turmoil and Ada throughout the whole book is dealing with like a entire turmoil inside her head of what she's feeling and not understanding what it is. Um, and it's in many ways like a violent clash going on in her head a lot of the time. And I think the self harm is a way to both get some control and to feel like there's a release there. Um, mm. I think what you said about making that like mental or emotional, uh, pain physical uh, resonates a lot when you have these sort of split spirits in Ada's head all vying for control yeah. in one body. Yeah. Um, well, to talk a little bit more about the different spirits, I will go into the next question, which is, uh, or discussion point, I guess, not that much of a question. In addition to the things she's born with, Ada also experiences experiences a significant amount of trauma in her life um, from witnessing the violent near death of her sister as a child to being raped repeatedly during college. Um, Asugara in particular emerges after the rape. And once we start to get her POV chapters, uh, she becomes the story's most frequent narrator. And she is also the god that seems to be closest to Ada and most tied to their shared humanity um, because she's extremely motivated by sex, which is a very human thing, although her desire for sex has more to do with hunger than it does with pleasure. Um, so I wanted to ask what you guys thought of her as a character and why maybe she gets so much more control over the story than anyone else, like even more than Ada or St. Vincent um, or the, you know, general we. Can I use this 
as a jumping off point really fast because I want to talk, I mean, this is related to your question. It's not totally unrelated. But what this got me thinking about was Ada's just her feelings about sex. Um, and, I mean, a lot of it's connected to her religion. Like, she yeah di- really didn't want to have sex, was horrified by the fact that she had sex mm-hmm. against her will. Um, and a lot of a lot of this other spirit taking over is to like be the one who has sex so that Mm -hmm. Ada doesn't have to do that. And it was really heartbreaking to me after, so Ada gets married. um, So when she has sex with her husband, Asagara is like, well, I'm not going to hang for this because this is not the type of sex that I sign on for, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like, yeah. um, Mm -hmm. And, Ada is like horrified and she's like you said that you were going to be there that I wouldn't have to do that alone. I found like that was such a heartbreaking moment to me that like Ada's feelings about sex first first had to do with religion and now have kind of been like um all messed up because of the trauma that she went through and that she felt like traumatized having to like have sex with her husband yeah like she couldn't even have like like the you know tender loving sex with this person who she like wants to be with but yeah 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 Yeah, and I think it was also I mean I think it was related to I don't want to make it like it was a metaphor but (laughs) in the sense but in the sense that I think after the trauma she turns through Azugara to this almost protective way of approaching sex, which is now I'm in a position of power. It's all about, like, I don't have to be vulnerable in this because it's not emotional. Like, because originally Ada thought of sex as this emotional, like, very vulnerable thing that would only happen when she was ready, after marriage, etc. And now that that's almost, like, ruined in her mind she turns to this like protective Mm -hmm. it's not emotional it's all about power because that's shielding her it shields her from thinking about you know she thinks about sex emotionally again she has to face this horrible thing that happened to her and was dumb to her and i think that's what makes it so hard with her husband Mm -hmm. which is that this is this her is husband ex- wants her to be vulnerable. Exactly. Like, he even says, like, I want you to give yourself entirely mm-hmm. to me. And she's like, I don't know how to do that. Yeah. Because she was, and it's, this was what she was planning on happening. Like, she was planning on having sex for the first time with this husband. And I think it's almost like that shield can't stay up because now it's her husband. Mm-hmm. Like, it's what was supposed to happen. And that's why Azubara has to leave because it's, Ada, who has the religious tender idea about sex, but that Ada was buried when Azugara showed up. Yeah. Yeah. And th- there's a point when Ada tells Azugara, like, well, he wants he wants us to be equal when we have sex. And she's like, what the hell does that mean? Like, that's not a... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, please explain how that works, because I don't get it. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, also... And I read this pretty quickly, but like I remember near nearer to the beginning of the novel, um someone, maybe the Wii narrator, talked about how Ada wasn't like super interested in sex. Yeah. 
And then it was sort of like a thing that would happen someday with her husband, you know, like vaguely. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense if that was not like the main, like a super driving force in her life, why she wouldn't be very interested in it. But I do think you're right, Emily, that like this trauma of being raped is really what changes her views on sex and she just is completely blocked off from it now. Like she can't, she can't go there. She has to have Asugara. And the most interesting part of this to me was when she talks about how Asugara is like a hard shell that's like over herself. So she doesn't have to not only be there, but get hurt. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's just like a a nice image of being protected in a hard shell. Yeah. I sound like I'm getting teary. I'm not. It's just my (laughs) voice is cracking. Um, Mary starts weeping. But uh, this was like the most heartbreaking part of the novel for me. Yeah. I mean, I hated all of the other trauma that happens to Ada throughout the novel, but it's especially heartbreaking when she finds herself in a time in life when she wants to be happy. Mm-hmm. And is married, and like she has everything she wanted, but she just can't. Yeah, like she can't make it yeah. work. It's really, it is really sad, and like the her marriage ends up deteriorating. And even though she clearly had like from from the moment that she met him, this really really strong connection with Ewan, um, and like they had their ups and downs, obviously, and he wasn't like a great guy a lot of the time. But no. he sucks. <laughs> you know, Let's they, be, come on. He sucks. You and you and sucks. Yes. You and sucks. Because, um, you they know, do like, get to all right, point. let's just stop for a moment. The reason they were together <laughs> was because he, and he straight up said, he was like, my girlfriend dumped me. So, like, <laughs> you said if I was ready to go all in on you that we could be together. Well, since my girlfriend dumped me, I'm all in now. <laughs> I'm in. Yeah, yeah, he's like the actual definition of a fuckboy. Yeah. Oh, uh, he's an Irish fuckboy. Um, yes. That's how he gets away with but it. It's that accent. Anyway. Okay, anyway, go ahead. It's true. <laughs> it's true. But they get to a point where they're married and, like, he's sober and things are seem okay and then but yeah like she and and even Asugara is like for a while I moved to the background and I didn't come out as much because I wanted her to have this but it really is like a lot of what what deteriorates their relationship is the problems that they're having sexually and you know because that just like reminds Ada that like here are all the ways in which I can't be I can't give all of myself to this person the way that he wants, the way that I want to, because I can't. There are parts of myself that I don't, I'm not allowed to give because they're not me or whatever. They are me, but I they're mean, not. She, <laughs> she can't give all of herself because she's many selves. Yeah, exactly. Like, Ada could give herself, right. but is Asugara going to no. want to give herself? Is St. Vincent going to no. want to give himself? You know, like. <laughs> There's too many, not too many, but, like, there's a lot of selves in there Yeah. to give. I also, just to back up and talk about how, like, terrible Ewan is, <laughs> I was this thinking. This is the Ewan hate corner. I was thinking, so you guys were having sex for a yeah. long time while you were with the girlfriend, after the girlfriend broke up with you, but now you're like, oh, but we're married, can we be sad? <laughs> <laughs> like... 
Presumably, they were having sex for a long time. So they yeah. like put a ring on it. He's like, it's got to be different Missionary now. only. All of a sudden, I want something more. <laughs> From now on. <laughs> just like I was like I don't really under I don't super understand that's some that's some, that, yeah. that's some man bullshit right there yeah speaking <laughs> of man bullshit uh, the most heartbreaking moment for me was when it goes back in time and you find out that Chima was abusing her for her entire childhood oh my god like, uh-huh. and I know. that was not I don't want to say like a full on twist but like that sort of flashback Mm-hmm. Um, was also really revealing in some ways about the sort of trauma and struggles of trust and, you know, that she's, um, she had been abused before and couldn't trust people yeah. with her body from a very young age, um, even the people she really wanted to trust. And so that sense of men failing her yeah. from the start. Yeah. It's very became very yeah. distinct, especially them. That's true. And all the men in this novel. Her dad sucks. Yep. He's a, he yep. sucks. Men suck. There's not a single good dude in this novel, maybe. <laughs> Thinking about it. I'm trying to think. Maybe the guy at the end who's the the priest who helps her. Wasn't there that one guy who, like, she had a crush on, but nothing happened before she got with the jerk? You mean the one with the small dick? Oh, yeah. Maybe. (laughs) There were a lot. There was that one. I love that. Because she, like, she was like, this guy is so cute, I love him. And then she was like, but then I grabbed his crush, and I was like, nope, I can't work with that. Nah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I feel like like um Asugara really injects some humor in into this book that otherwise there wouldn't be a lot of um <laughs> yeah she's pretty funny yeah. it's ki- it's interesting too because she's kind of like to get back to just talking about her um she is like born in the moment that and she's given a name basically in the mm-hmm. moment that Ada realizes that she's been raped this whole time uh which I also found interesting that she just kind of like fully dissociated from that experience and then finally mm-hmm. realized like this is what's been happening to me this whole time. I have a question. This might sound dumb, but so you know the moment she realizes that she's been raped. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh her boyfriend is like, "Well, you better get on birth control." Um and I was sitting here thinking like, "Dude, do you understand how birth control works?" Because you already came inside her. <laughs> like, that's... Yeah. Well, I think, honestly, he's, he's like, like... I think well, that's part of, like, almost the worst part of it. <laughs> is he's like, you know, we've been having sex a lot. We really... You really should start birth control. <laughs> like, uh, maybe like, you should have had should this conversation that. before. <laughs> like, yeah, like, yeah. could you have done that, like, yesterday? Yeah. Like, what's taking you so long? So. Also, though... Maybe he doesn't know how it works. Yeah, that's yeah. also true. He might not. That was my first thought, though, was like, dude, that's not how birth control works. <laughs> this is a conversation to have Mm-mm. before you come inside somebody. Just it's so. also not like, oh, I took one pill. It's working now. 
I would like to say that I think it's fully realistic that a boy in college would not know how birth control works. Yeah. We were, yes. uh, when was she just getting plan B all the time? Yeah, that's what birth control is. Yeah. Just popping plan B pills every yeah, day. Yeah, because at one point, I don't remember if it's like with him or if it's after when she's just like Asugara is impulsively having sex with a lot of people. But like yeah. at one point, she's just having like plan B like once a week. That seems and rough. You yeah. would feel so terrible. You would be so sick. And Asugara's yeah. like, oops, sorry. Gonna have to go to the pharmacy again. <laughs> Which is again is like kind of funny. Yeah, she's like, I gotta have sex, but also pregnancy. <laughs> so you better get on this so. real fast. <laughs> yeah. Which is it's funny. It's funny for Asugari to do all this stuff and be like, whoops, time for plan B. <laughs> but like also thinking about it, you would feel so terrible all the time. All yeah. the time. Yeah. She must have felt physically awful. Um but she is, she's kind of like a baby, like a baby god. <laughs> like, yeah. She's, like, she's even, a bratty preteen god. Yeah. Like, she's born into a bratty preteen, basically. Um, yes. And then, because later it says, like, well, you know, Asugara was older and a little calmer. And it's like, she was just like a very, yeah. very young and just kind of doing whatever the fuck she wanted which it's interesting to think of of gods in terms of like how old is this god <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. also i don't know can we talk about the one god the elephant god in the room yeshua oh yeah so oh, I Jesus is just straight up here. I think sure. it might be. I might be wrong about this, but I looked it up and it looked like it was pronounced Yahweh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yahweh is the Hebrew. I just said Yeshua. And yeah, I had everything. Yeah, right. I, I was thinking Yeshua, but Yahweh <laughs> is like technically the Hebrew way. Okay. Look, I went to church. <laughs> I know things about. I know church things. Nice. Um. <laughs> It was very interesting to me, the depiction of uh, Yahweh's being like, yeah, he hears everything, but he doesn't really care. <laughs> well, that's the thing that, and like we talked about this in, when we talked about Cersei is like, he's, mm-hmm. you know, he is a god and like gods don't care about human like <laughs> it's just kind yeah. of the idea like gods are like they're concerned with themselves yeah. and humans come second or you know 15th or whatever <laughs> i mean the funniest part of it is he was like look i know you're upset but i can't turn into a human to come hold you that's like a big imposition for yeah. me it's <laughs> like i already did that and i hated it <laughs> I hated it. <laughs> it did not. Did not, not gonna do it again. <laughs> and how Azugara just like hates him. Yeah, hates him. Hates him. <laughs> He's like the. I don't know. That it was, was it also was, funny. It was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it was. I mean, it was interesting to have like this traditional Judeo-Christian God. Yeah. In the mix. <laughs> right. Well, uh, with all of these others. Yeah, and I think that that's part of of this idea of accepting that there are, you know, multiple realities and and all these different ways to to see the world, like whether it's religion or not, but, you know, yeah. these di- completely opposing, you know, uh religions both in this context exist. Um mm-hmm. and both of them are real because Ada 
believes in them both. Yes. Yeah. And I, um, when I was, I, uh, minored in religious studies in college. And one of the interesting things we did talk about at one point is the way that some, like, polytheistic or pantheistic religions can just sort of, they just, like, instead of, it made Christianity really mad, instead of, like, taking Jesus Mm -hmm. and being like, okay, cool, Jesus, one God, great. They were like, cool, another God. Like, we'll take him too. Jesus can get in on this. um, I think it's a very, like, non-Western idea, but an important one for, like, us to be exposed to, which is the idea that, you know, we have all these spirits and we can believe in all those things and also believe in Jesus Christ. Like, it's not separate. We can believe in Yahweh. We can believe in all that. And it doesn't, like, it doesn't conflict in this story. It's just Azugara being like, get out of here. Right. I hate him. <laughs> Truly, nothing would make the Christians angrier <laughs> for someone to accept Jesus, but to say, Jesus can come join the Pantheon. <laughs> yeah. Come on in. Um, totally. So, I guess, is there anything else that you guys wanted to talk about before we uh, give our ratings? Um, yeah. Why do you, okay. <laughs> Why did they call her, I'm sorry. I know you're laughing at me already. Well, no, it's just funny the way her? that you brought it up. You're like, yeah, I do have something. <laughs> I fucking you do. leaned in. I did have a question. Why do they call her the the Ada? Hmm. I I thought about it. Okay, do tell. Like, what do you think? Ada is her the vessel mm-hmm. for all of these different uh hmm, selves, I guess, and. You know, like, I have a car. I'm going to say I left something in the car. (laughs) I'm going to go get it. Yeah. Uh, Right? So, like, she's, like, the vessel for all of them. Yeah, I think at one point they say, like, the Yada, and then it's, like, in parentheses, our body. And so it's, like, it, it, I thought the same. It's, the Yada is sort of their, almost their word for, so what you were saying before, where it was, like, Azugara versus St. Vincent versus Azugara. Viada is like the yeah. name for everybody in the body. Yeah. yeah. Like it's the name for the body itself. Like, and yeah. it, I think it's a way of separating out all of us went and did this versus mm-hmm. Ada, like in the marble room yelling at Azugara. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. If you say it fast, it sounds like a car. Viada. <laughs> Like a Miata? (laughs) Yeah, like, what do you drive? Theata. Drive a Theata. Azugara probably said that at some point. Yeah. (laughs) I drive Theata. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay, well, on that note, uh, our tradition, Leah, is to do our Goodreads rating so we can only use whole stars up to five. But then we usually say, like, if I could, I would give it a, you know, three and a half. But you can't. We can only use whole stars, but that's never stopped us before. <laughs> well, we always say, we always say, I will round it to this when I actually yeah. rate it. But this is my real rate, mm-hmm. like, you know. <laughs> so who wants to go first? I will, because I'm going to be the big womp womp of the group. Uh-oh. I know you are. I can tell. Look, I know Mary's style. I know I Mary's gave it, style. And I was like, Mary's not going to like this. I gave it a two. 
Um, it was really, Ooh. I think discussing it more has made me like it more. I would, you know, I think this would be a really interesting book to teach. But I'm not going to say that my experience was that of joy uh, reading it. I think it's got some really interesting ideas. It just wasn't my particular cup of tea. So I read it, took it in. I gave it a two. (laughs) Also, reading the other reviews on Goodreads is like whiplash. People either loved it or they hated it. Like, it's one or the other. I am, I will say, really interested in this author. And they have a young adult book that either is about to come out or just came out. And I'm really curious to read that. Mm -hmm. I've heard it's really good. So, like, I'm not turned off completely by the author. This just wasn't my personal cup of tea. And I'm interested to see what the author does after this because this is kind of their, you know autobiography yeah they're you know they got a like three book deal yeah um so this is kelly again everyone uh i am going to so i was like when i finished it i was kind of like going between like three and four i'm like i think i would give like if i could i would maybe give it a three and a half but i think i'm gonna round up because um to a four because I really just this book is so interesting and like it's made me think about something that I have honestly never thought about before like really and truly have not and just like it's so enlightening to me and this is like why it's obviously so important to read books like by people who have different perspectives like Mm -hmm. people of color people with different gender identities, people with different cultures, is because, like, I, yeah, like, I think of, when I think of, you know, mental illness, I think of it from a completely, completely Western perspective. Um, And, I, you know, I was reading another, another article that was talking about how, you know, even just, like, mental illnesses in general, um, and things like, you know, suicidal ideation and self-harm and, um, you know, eating disorders and all of these things are are things that we often associate with with like young white women, you know, and like to read about this from the not only like f- you know from a perspective of like a person of color, but a person of color also who like has like these beliefs steeped in like their their culture, you know, from Nigerian culture, Igbo culture. Um, it was just like really, really. Like, I feel like I learned a lot reading this and just, like, have a new, like, thing that I can think about when I'm, like, approaching things that I read or watch or whatever. So, like, this book, like, I think um, is important to me, actually. (laughs) So, uh, I will give it a four. Now I feel like a turd. (laughs) No, you don't have to. I'm just saying, you've probably thought about, like... Be, you know, Mary, reading this book before I even knew what I thought about this book, I knew what you thought. <laughs> you knew about what it. I thought. <laughs> yeah, because we're just connected. I have a, a psychic connection to your Goodreads <laughs> reviews. I will say, I do agree, Kelly. 
about all of the stuff you just said. <laughs> no, it's, like, I t- it's, it's not important. that I don't. I, I, I know that you don't. Like it. You're, <laughs> no, like you not liking this book doesn't ha- isn't you being like, well, I don't believe that that's true, and fuck that. I think like you're right. Like it depends on whether or not it was an enjoyable experience for you, and like it's true. Like I tend to like things that are like very like flowery language and yeah. And you like that less. So I think that that <laughs> I is a yeah, part of it. I true. do love that we have very different um, tastes on this podcast. I think it makes yeah. for, I mean, not to pat our own damn backs, but <laughs> it does make for um, a wide variety of book choices and a wide variety of opinions. And I appreciate that. I'm just saying. I feel like you can tell who picked what. Yeah. Yeah. Looking at the list. I think that's true. Obviously, I picked the best books. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Leah, do you want to give um, your rating? Sure. Uh, I'll preface it by saying that I'm very kind on Goodreads ratings. Um, <laughs> in the sense that if it was good, it gets four stars. And nice. if it was, like, if I loved it, it gets five. Three and under is reserved for, like, bad. Like Really? It, yeah. Like, it has to be... Bad craft-wise to get a yeah. three. Like, wow, it has to have okay. a plot hole or, like, something's wrong with how it, like, the language pulled out or whatever. And then one or two is, like, either trash. it was yeah. trash, like, problematic, or, like, yeah. it's or it's so popular that nothing I can say will, like, destroy its reputation. So, like, I hated, <laughs> like, I hated The Martian. It got one star. Because what am I, like... <laughs> What am I going to do against The Martian? It's not like I'm sinking this author, right? Like, people yeah. are going to read it right, as right. It's The Martian. I hated so. the movie. I did not read the book. <laughs> yeah. But, like, so, just to preface. I think that's a really good way of doing it, actually. Because yeah. I give a lot of threes. For me. I kind of do two I and under two. is bad. For me, three yeah. still means I liked it. It just. Yeah, same. Yeah. But, you know, Kelly, I think, is very stingy with her fives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I'm sorry. I'm go brat. ahead. No, it's okay. But I thought I would preface with that also yeah, to no, put that's this into perspective. Know. You yeah. know, um, I'd probably give it. I ended up giving it a four. I mean, a five. I ended up giving it a five. But I will say, like, I was thinking more four and a half. Um, yeah. But it got then. That's awesome. You know, like I said, I'm very. I'm always good with my good reasons. You create so, on a curve. Yeah, everything's on a curve. <laughs> it, will, it goes up. So, um, but I, I am a sucker for experimental and twisty and nonlinear and I could read it all day. And as long as it's done well and not like turning over itself or as long as it's done for a purpose and not just to be twisty, um, I'm in love. And I feel like what I was saying before about how the nonlinearness and the disconcertingness really puts yourself in Ada's headspace and gives that new perspective on like all of it between mental illness and gender and sexuality. Um, I really liked it. So, yeah. Um, this is Emily. I also have not rated this yet on Goodreads cause I'm like still sitting with it, but I'm kind of with Kelly where I'm somewhere between a three and a four for me. Three means I liked it. I, but it three means like I liked it, but I might not like be thinking about it very much in like a year or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. four means like I liked it a lot, but it's not like fave. 
Five is like, yeah. I love this. Like, doesn't... Five doesn't... is Prisoner of Azkaban. <laughs> <laughs> How did you know? Um, but, I mean, I'm not as stingy with my fives as Kelly. We've never really broken down our... <laughs> wow, coming at like me. Before. You know, um, so this is good. This is... I love that you've brought this to the table, Leah. We're, we're being very open about our good read scores now. Um... <laughs> I, but with fives, it's like, it doesn't have to be perfect, but I have to like, it's gotta just mm-hmm. like hit me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there are very few books that are perfect, Kelly. So like, maybe we <laughs> know. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Um, but so I really don't know. Like, I'm very conflicted because like, th- for right, for me, like, this is a 3.5 and I'm having a really hard time because I'm listening to you guys talk and I'm getting pulled. Like, I'm like, do I want to give it a three? Do I want to give it a four? Um, I feel like right now I'm leaning more towards a three, which is still means I liked it. I guess I kind of have to wait and see how much I'm thinking about this. I might like change that. Um, because I, I do think this is a book that the more you sit with it, I think probably the more I sit with it, the more I'll appreciate it. Um, so that's not a very good answer. I really wish I could give half stars is what I'm saying. <laughs> well, I just, I just looked at my Goodreads uh-huh. to see how many five stars I've given. And it's so many, <laughs> <laughs> but most of it, it's for theory books that I'm using for my <laughs> dissertation. Oh my god! I'm like, oh yeah, I love, I love claiming disability. Oh man, now I want to look at my good reads. Uh, yeah, no, most of my most of my reviews are four stars because of the way I sort of always round up to give yeah. that four star like positive average. Right, like yeah. it's just like I used to give a lot of threes too, but then I started like looking at like the average rating. And I was like, oh, but to give it a three, like, then I'll pull it, like, this way, even though I mean it to be positive. And I started started thinking of it as letter grades. Yeah. And that's Mm. kind of what actually threw me towards giving it a four, even if it, like, anywhere from, like, C plus to B plus. You know (laughs) what? (laughs) Writing a novel is hard. Exactly. You wrote a damn novel. You deserve a star just for finishing that novel. You know what I mean? Like, let's think. Let's stop and think about this for a minute. Writing a novel (laughs) is hard. I don't know if y'all have ever tried it. NaNoWriMo's coming up. Oh, I have. I mean, it's a fun time. It's it's a fun time, and also you're like, oh, I forgot this thing that I wrote a hundred pages ago that um is still relevant, and this totally does not match up because I was in a different headspace then. It's a mess. I'm doing the anti NaNoWriMo. Okay. Tell me about it. Where I turn my dissertation in on November 1st. <gasps> Never and write I anything. Don't write either. for all of November. Yes. That's awesome. That's so exciting, though. But then I get it back in oh, December and have to work again. I'm looking at my five star reviews. Basically, every Harry Potter book is here. <laughs> How do you find it? I couldn't find it. Um, I just went to the app on my phone and looked at my red collection. Yeah, yeah. And sort by rating. D- sorted it by rating. Secret Garden is here. What up? Y'all know I love that book. <laughs> oh, yeah, Secret Garden's here. <laughs> Gotta love Secret Garden. It's we like should probably there. do this um, off air. I know. <laughs> we should probably finish this off air. <laughs> so we forgot to ask Leah if she has any pets. Oh, oh I yeah. Do. Oh shit. 
Tell us, I do. Tell us about your pets. I have a cat named Miss Nellie Bly. Oh, such a good name. Yeah, she's a hard-hitting journalist. Uh, she's investigating <laughs> um, the world of the domestic cat right now. She plans to write a huge expose on me and my life eventually. I'll read it. Yeah. I look forward to reading uh, about it. She's very shy, and she's not allowed in the bedroom anyway. But at some point, I will, mm-hmm. I will show you guys her. Send, send Emily a picture to send us. Yes, send so. us a picture of her with the yes, book. Yes, and we'll put it on the Instagrams. Can yes. do. We, we like it's to actually my if she would pose with it. One second. <laughs> <laughs> Baby! Oh. Oh. She's very cute. She is a tortie girl. So cute. Love a tortie. Okay, we have some listener feedback. So, Leah, apologies. Uh, this is going to be really boring for you. Look, maybe she'll have some things to say about these things yeah, if true. she's read these books, you know? So, feel free to chime so, in. So, we have... Um, Emily, do you want to read this since I've read a thousand things already during this episode? Sure. What am I reading? Jen's. Okay. Hmm. From Jen and... Ha- hey, what's up, Jen? <laughs> Jen. You know, Jen from Hattiesburg famously was the person who held Mary in my hands during uh, Hereditary. Yes. I don't even want to say she held our hands. We grabbed onto her against her will. Look, Hereditary. That's right. Anyway, um, here's Jen from Hattiesburg. Um, She has some feedback for two books that we read recently, um, Cersei and Nine Perfect Strangers. So she says, this message might be a little jumbled because I'm actually writing about multiple books. First, some very belated feedback for Cersei. I finally read it and loved it. I really enjoyed the narration and the new perspectives on many of my favorite myths. I enjoyed the witchy elements the most. I also loved your analysis of the book. Inspired by Cersei, I went on a mad reading spree of other Greek myth retellings, including The Song of Achilles. Um, I've read the Aeneid, I know how it ends, and I thought I was prepared. Spoiler alert, I was not prepared. <laughs> and I saw it through the ending. Both books were five-star reads for me. Oh, um, let's let's respond to this first before we get into Nine Perfect Strangers. Um, yeah, I loved Cersei. Hey, that was a book I picked, by the way. I also loved the witchy stuff. <laughs> I loved Cersei, too. I, I loved Cersei. Really... I really need to go back and read Song of Achilles now, I need to I read think. Song of Achilles. Um, yeah. Me too. It's on my list. I've he- I hear it's really, really good. But yeah, Cersei was awesome. And I'm making... My husband's actually reading it right now. Good. Uh, I'm forcing him to read it. Um, we were talking earlier about what an asshole he is. No. Hey, what's up, Ben? Um, oh, by the way, he, guess he what I gave a- Cersei? Five stars. Emily. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm just like going through... um yeah we love cersei okay this is the second part oh wait did anybody else have anything to say about that besides we love cersei we love cersei okay cool um okay jen also says i also have been looking forward to your episode on nine perfect strangers i read this book back in july and i was on the fence about it there were too many strangers for me (laughs) 
<laughs> too many strangers. Nine is too many strangers. I wasn't sure how I felt about the commentary on body image. And as a person who normally actually likes an epilogue, the extended epilogue felt like they veered into Peter Jackson's Return of the King's territory. <laughs> too many endings! Still, there were some characters I was really invested in, and I particularly liked how Moriarty handled grief. I really enjoyed listening to your discussion on how body image was handled in the book, and y'all really did make me appreciate the epilogue more. Also, Tirza was a great guest. Yeah. Aww. Hey, Leah, do you know Tirza? Yes, in theory, at least. Yes. In theory. You know, we're all in the Book Riot community. I love community. all our Book Riot guests. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's crazy, but, you know, Book Riot guests have smart things to say about books. So we weird. That's crazy. You can't um, forget this last part, though, which is very important. We haven't even mentioned, but Susan. Oh, yeah. What the fuck? We didn't mention that Susan's not here. Susan is not with us this week. <laughs> oh, man. We should probably put Kelly. something in about how Susan's not here. Kelly. Wow. Damn. Just like myself. that. I show up to the podcast. Everyone else is forgotten. <laughs> It'd be like that sometimes. Before you know. the episode, we were in the Google Hangout, and I was like, so sad, I Susan's know, we not here this week, and we're like, yeah, it. so we did talk about it. We did, it was just pre-recording. Uh, but Susan's not here this week, but I feel like this last part is for Susan. <laughs> um, Emily, yes, do you want to read this last part, Mary? Yeah, the last thing Jen wrote into us is she says, finally, I would like to officially voice my support for a Weekend at Bernie's episode. <laughs> I think I've only seen a couple of scenes from the movie, but when I was in elementary school, I watched the music video for Joe Diffie's Prop Me Up Beside the Jukebox If I Die so many times. I'm almost positive that it was inspired by Weekend at Bernie's. I think that an episode on Weekend at Bernie's would be so much fun to listen to. Thank you all for a great podcast. This is how you know Jen is a Hufflepuff, because she's like, I just would like to voice my support. (laughs) (laughs) i just really i mean honestly and the people can speak up let us know but i'm just gonna be honest like i don't know what i have to say about weekend at bernie's if you have ideas i think i have stuff discussion for weekend at bernie's please write us in about what topics we could cover um and we'll consider it (laughs) maybe this can be our wedding gift to susan leah have you seen um weekend at bernie's I haven't either. I'm bad. I haven't seen nearly as many movies as I really need to see. That's something I've noticed a lot recently, but then I'm like, I need to watch more movies, and then I read instead, so, you know. Well, people watching movies are like, I have to read more books, so... Yeah, exactly. You can't can't win. (laughs) Um, Darcy from Sheridan, Wyoming, says... About nine perfect strangers. I tried to love it. I truly did. I gave it a three. I'm 55, so I did identify with those older characters. I can't wait to hear what else you all think. And then Susan, this was on Facebook, and Susan asked her what she thought about Doritos and salsa. (laughs) Whoop! She loves Doritos. And she said, yes, it's addictive. I can eat a whole bag. Well, if I could. They're made out of corn, so now I (laughs) can't. Oh dang. Um, and she also noted that some of us sounded like we had colds, <laughs> and she said she's right there with us with her sexy oh, cold no. voice. Did we have colds on that episode, or I did we you just sound Maybe. Like uh, Emily. I, yeah, I know. I, I think cold. you were sick, yeah. Emily. Okay, well, it's hard to keep up with how many times I... Who's sick? Who's not sick? <laughs> you know what? Now it's Mary. So now it's me. We just right, switched around. 
permanent Thank sexy cold voice for someone in. on the episode. Yes. Uh, uh, what's on the blog? Thank you, Darcy, for writing in. Thank you, everyone, for writing in. What's on the blog? Yeah. <laughs> what's on the blog? Well, survivors happening. <laughs> Yes. Um, I've been kind of blown away by how good the editing is this season. I was not always a Survivor fan. And so, like, look, and yes, Leah, it's 2019. <laughs> Leah's sitting there like, Survivor? Is that still on? Okay, no, I'm wait. Still I watching have to jump in real fast and say that my boyfriend is a huge Bachelorette fan, and I don't watch, and I don't watch any of it because he made me watch one season, and I got into it, and then I hated myself a little bit. So I stopped, but the way I keep up with his knowledge of the drama is by reading the recaps every single week. Yes. 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 Yeah. I admit the only reason I ever tried to watch Survivor was because my boyfriend watches it. It happens. And now we we write recaps of it that probably only Jen and his parents read. (laughs) I read them. But that's okay. I'm always, like, reading We're it, and I'm like, fun. I don't know, like, what, I don't know who any of these people are, I don't know what's happening, but I'm enjoying the jokes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, Todd's they, very they good they at give. jokes. So are you, Mary. Um, also, thank you. Also, Kelly and I have a Riverdale season preview for you. We are not recapping... This season because it's oh, like it was the worst a minimum a thousand episodes. No, you know what the worst mistake ever was was trying to recap. Okay, Bachelor. but that was like eight episodes. <laughs> no, that was great, and I support it because I had <laughs> oh, to read man. it to keep up with my boyfriend's watching. So I read every one. It was great. Thank you yeah. for reading. Well, I'm glad that Thank you for reading. <laughs> we have watched the first three episodes of Riverdale. And we're going to tell you what we are thinking about the season so yeah. far. And kind of give you if we have any predictions, um, which honestly, how could you ever predict what's going to happen <laughs> on this? Just I don't know, I don't because I just watched episode three today and I'm like, where did any of this come from? I gave up on Riverdale long ago. Like, I feel like they blew through like 10 different plots in one episode. It's just insane. Truly. And while I'm talking, I will also say Susan has a blog post about the Great British Bake Off. <laughs> um, she is watching season 10 and she is talking about why she thinks it is great. And Susan has some controversial Great British Bake Off oh, opinions. Shit. I am ready to read mm-hmm. that. I need to read that. Um, Kelly and I. We took one for the team and went to see Moulin Rouge on Broadway because, you know, that was, you know, hard for yeah. us. Yeah. Was it a bird? Yeah. And the people welcome, were dying people. to know. <laughs> yes. The, the, the people were dying to know how Moulin Rouge the musical stacked up to the movie. So Kelly and I went. We rewatched the film. Um, together. Together. But separate. We did a. We were like countdown three, two, one, press play. Never worked. <laughs> yeah, it worked. Well, you know, we did it. We did it pretty good. Yeah. Um. So we wrote about it. Uh. We have opinions. I have a lot of opinions because Moulin Rouge is my favorite movie of all time. Uh. So yeah. I feel like you've had these opinions inside, just waiting to come That's out. True. Oh, Kelly knows. She saw them bubbling. Yeah, during the show, when she she'd just be like shaking her head, like. <laughs> 
no. I understand. I saw Anastasia um, yeah. in Chicago. <laughs> I had so many opinions. I literally yeah. ended up, I was on my Instagram and I literally just like in my Instagram stories rewatched Anastasia. It was like a, it was like I had stuff to do the next day, but I stayed up yeah. and watched Anastasia and like reported on everything that was better. <laughs> I that love they got wrong in the musical. Yeah. Cause I was so mad about so many things. Oh man. Then I'm glad I didn't see it. How did, how did they do Bartok in the musical? They just didn't. No. They, okay. I'm going to dive into it just really quickly, but I'm not going to give you my full thoughts because those would Go. take a while. Um, Look, the basic, if you want to guest blog about Anastasia please the musical, do a guest we blog. will have you. Yeah. The ba- <laughs> I mean, I will. The basic problem was that they tried to make it realistic and political by making it like actually about uh. the Russian Revolution, but they either had to commit to it or yeah. not commit to it. They either had to make it like Disney magical on mm-hmm. Broadway, or they had to be like, this is going to be a dark ass show about the Russian revolution. And instead they were like, we're going to be somewhere in here where they're still singing about Paris. But meanwhile, there's like an actual man with a gun following Asia. Like, you know, like it doesn't work. Yeah. yeah it no. doesn't like, it doesn't match up. And so that was That's like wild. my big Anastasia. That's the biggest critique on the high level is that everything else doesn't work yeah. if if you go only halfway. You either had to abandon the musical aspect or like the Disney-ish yeah. part, or you had to swoop the other way. I don't see how any of those songs could work in like a serious context. <laughs> no, exactly. Um, so coming up on the blog, Leah is going to write about Anastasia's <laughs> yes. musical. The people yeah. want to know. Um, Yes, the people want to know. Uh, Speaking of things the people want to know about, 10 Weeks of Spooktober has wrapped up at this point because it is November. (laughs) It is so sad. I am, I'm trying to figure out if I can just do another Spooktober. Um, 10 Weeks of Thanksgiving movies? No, I I mean, it would have to be Spooksgiving. I still want to watch scary movies. Um... (laughs) And then Spooksmas. <laughs> oh my god, you should do that. You should do ten okay. weeks of like scary Christmas movies. Spooks yeah. Valentine's Day. Um so I wrapped up Spooktober with I'm trying to think what are the last oh, Zombie Land was week nine, and then week ten is going to be the amazing film Countdown. You liked it? So that'll be up on the blog. No. <laughs> I mean, it was fine. I mean, it was fine. It was better than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be complete trash. It was complete trash, but it had its moments. So I was also there. Mary was there. Mary took me to see it for my birthday. Thank you, Mary. Yeah. It was your birthday, Mary. We got some popcorn. Saw, and I, mm-hmm. I, after it, I was like, well, that was my last Spooktober movie. So. Um, and I was like, ooh, that that's the last one. Yeah. Going out with a bang. Uh, Kelly, tell us about Practical Magic. Um, Practical Magic is a is movie. a film and a book. Uh, I wrote about how I love Practical Magic, the film, and I rewatched it recently, and it was still awesome from the last time that I saw it when I was in high school. And then I went online to look at what people were saying about it, and apparently everyone hated it. And I'm like, 
what's wrong with you people? Uh, like, at the time, the critics were so mean about it. And it has, like, a terrible rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And I'm just like, y'all are stupid. Like, meanwhile, we watch fucking Hocus Pocus every Halloween. Right? And that movie sucks. I'm sorry, can but... We, can we write a blog about how Hocus Pocus is not as good as people say it is? I'm sorry, Leah is very offended right now. I mean, I, sorry, I like but it. But that movie sucks. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? I like All it right. though. Hocus Pocus is a massive debate. We're gonna have a debate on the blog about the merits <laughs> of Hocus Pocus. I mean, I think you can like Practical Magic and Hocus. That's Pocus. true. My my main argument. I didn't. I wasn't talking about how Hocus Pocus sucks, but I was saying, <laughs> you know, every year we pull out Hocus Pocus. Why don't we also pull out Practical Magic every year? That's, that's what fair. I'm confused about. Because that's like a super witchy movie, and. You know, I pose a theory for why maybe that is. So, Where did you watch it? When? Where? Is it like on Netflix? No, I watched it in a theater. Ooh. Oh. They did a screening. There was a um, a series at Nighthawk, uh, which is one of the indie theaters here. And they cool. did like witch movies. So like um, for all of October. Did they do The Craft? Uh, they did. Because... Because The Craft is my witch movie. I, I love The Craft. Like, I love The Craft. That movie traumatized me. We are the weirdos, mister. Like, last year, that movie traumatized me. Um. <laughs> <laughs> also on the blog, Susan has written about this current season of Dancing with the Stars, but uh, not really, because she admitted that this current season is kind of like, meh. Mostly because Sean so she and, like, fuck that. She's walking us through... Her favorite performances from Dancing Ever. with the Stars. So if you need a little lift, a little step in your day, a pep in your step, go check out those performances. Um. Okay. So next time we have an other sode. Is Susan leading this one? Yes. Doctor Sleep. I think so. Oh yeah, Susan's doing that one. Susan will be leading our next other sode. Doctor Sleep, the film adaptation of the Stephen King novel starring Emily's boyfriend, Ewan McGregor. Husband, excuse me. I'm sorry. I forgot that you guys tied the knot. <laughs> We're married. Um, have been married for a long time. <laughs> I know. I just forgot. <laughs> Since Moulin Rouge came out, actually. But, you know, who's counting? <laughs> um, so that episode will be out on November 18th. And then, Emily, why don't you tell us about our next book episode? Well, let me tell you, I have not started reading it yet, so I can't say that much about it, but it's American Spy by Lauren Wilkinson. Um, I was not prepared to talk about it. Let me see. I mean, you don't really have to talk about it, just... I want. I do want to say, I looked at the Goodreads reviews for it, and people were like, this is not a spy thriller, and I'm very disappointed. <laughs> it's not a spy thriller. Um, here, I'm just gonna read the little blurb at the top. It says, What if your sins of duty required you to betray the man you love? One woman struggles to choose between her honor and her heart in this enthralling espionage drama set against an unforgettable, unforgettable historical backdrop. I can see how someone might think it's a spy thriller based on that. It does say espionage. Yeah. Yeah. Espionage. <laughs> uh, Leah, have you read this book? I have not. Okay. Well. But it sounds intriguing. Although, if it's a spy thriller, you know, it, I don't know. It, uh, <laughs> I feel like yeah. Emily wouldn't pick a spy thriller, so. No. <laughs> uh, it's like a, it's a, it's a spy novel, but there's some stuff about, there's some commentary on, like, sexism and racism going on in there that nice. I think will make it more yeah. interesting to talk about than just, like, I don't know, like a James Bond. Yeah. Look, I love a good James Bond movie. Would I read a James Bond novel? I don't know. 
that seems like a lot of commitment. So, yeah. But yeah, um, I think it's going to be fun and exciting. And we haven't read anything quite like this as far as I know. I mean, maybe we'll read it and I'll be like, you know, that reminded me a lot of Freshwater, but I don't think so. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, But yeah, I haven't started reading it yet. I really try not to read a bunch about a book before I read it because I don't like other things to influence my opinion about it. So I'm going into this kind of blind, just kind of going off the few things I've heard about it. So. But I'm excited. I think it'll be it'll be a fun book to talk about. Same. Yeah. Well, you can follow us on social media. We are at Book Squad Goals on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That will help other people find our podcast. And I would really, really appreciate it if you would just take one small moment out of your very undoubtedly busy day. And we know you're busy. We know. NaNoWriMo's going on. We get it. But take a break from your novel. thousand plus pages. I mean, a thousand plus words to write today. So Take a break from your werewolf romance novel. <gasps> should we do Look. it, Emily? <laughs> yeah, we should. We should. No, Kelly and I are going to write a, a werewolf romance novel. Get ready. Um, um, I'm ready. But also, like, what if... No, I just had a great idea. What if you incorporate the review in your novel and then those words you write to review our podcast can also count towards your work count. There you go. For the day. Yeah. Bam. Amazing. A solution to a problem yes. no one knew they had. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, you can write us an email at the squad at booksquadgoals.com. You can visit our website at booksquadgoals.com. Uh, and you can read all of our lovely blog posts there, including Leah's incredible Anastasia blog post that she's written. <laughs> I've already read it. It's great. It's so good. <laughs> um, Leah, where can people find you on the internet? People can find me at wallreadingandwalking.com. I'm also wallreading and walking on Instagram, and I'm reading underscore while at Twitter. Yes. I'm looking forward so cool. to checking out your blog. Me too. Um, thank you for joining <laughs> thank us. Thank you guys for uh, having me. <laughs> Leah, and thank you for joining us, listeners. Yeah, Kelly, you know what? Thanks we for joining you. us. You're welcome. You know, I have other <laughs> shit I could be doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> <Sleeping>. <laughs>